In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us today for the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm Mark Danzi. I'm your host, and we are following up on last week's theme of where we're just looking at Jesus's plan of disciple making. You know, there's lots of people in Christian history that have done disciple making really well, but of course, uh, none like Jesus. And so he is our example. He's our model. And we're just looking at him um, and kind of his plan of what he did uh, in calling his disciples together and training them, and then that they were able to uh, go out and change the world. And that's the reason that uh, I'm here today, and that you're, if you're a believer listening to this, that you're a believer because those those disciples did it. They followed the the plan of Jesus, and so uh, we're looking at uh, this 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 method that he developed um, is really brought together well in a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. Now, I don't know if you've ever met your hero or not, but uh, I had that opportunity one time uh, to meet Dr. Coleman. Um, and uh, actually have him in my home, and we served dinner, and I got to sit. Uh, I felt like Paul sitting at the feet of Gamaliel uh, with this guy. He was just a, a wellspring of wisdom and gentleness and very Christ-like, and just felt like I could ask him any question in the world, and he'd answer it uh, so genuinely. And he did. And he told me the story of how this book came about. Now, it was published in 1960, okay? So it's got a little age on it. Uh, but what happened was he had become a professor of evangelism. He said he didn't know that much. He'd never taught evangelism. And so he just decided to take out uh, the Bible, and he took out the Gospels, and he just read the Gospels. And from reading the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he saw these these themes that just popped off the page. And they were the, the things that Jesus did in, in discipling his 12, and he said, you know, we can do that. What he did, we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's just look at the life of Jesus and do those things. And he basically came up with eight principles, uh, if you will, of what Jesus did to disciple. Now, I told you last week uh, that I, there were six reasons why I just didn't done ministry for 15 years, and I never discipled anybody. I just did a lot of spiritual things, and uh, by God's grace, some cool things happened. But when I started looking at this book and this plan and going back and reading Jesus's methods, the way he apprenticed these 12, the way he called them to himself, he, he picked them, handpicked them, he uh, then associated with them. And so, uh, and, and there's all these steps, basically the eight steps that Jesus did, and we're going to break them down each week, one by one, okay? So don't feel like you got to write all this down, especially if you're driving right now. Uh, <laughs> The first one is is selection. The second one is association. Uh, the third one's a kind of a churchy word, consecration, which means set apart. The impartation, he gave them the Holy Spirit. Demonstration, he actually demonstrated for them how to do this. Delegation, he gave them the responsibility. Supervision, he didn't leave them alone, he continued to supervise them. And then reproduction, and that was on... Uh, spiritual reproduction, how to re- reproduce our life in the lives of others spiritually. And so let's go back to selection. Let's start at just the step one and, and look at this, this method, this plan, and see if it's something that you could incorporate into your life. Because here at 419, we have found that it is a proven methodology. It's not perfect. 
uh, the way we do it, of course, uh, but we have found it to be effective. We're no longer haphazardly just uh, folding our hands in prayer and just asking God to do something. Uh, We're joining him. It's a co-mission. We're joining him on his mission. Now, in Luke chapter 6, verse 13 uh, and beyond, actually verse 12, let me read it to you. Uh, If you're taking notes, it's uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through uh, 16. It's very interesting because it's where Jesus uh, chooses the 12 apostles. Now, don't let that confuse you, disciple and apostle. Disciple literally means a learner or a student. An apostle means ones who are sent, okay? So it says in verse 12, Now during those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. And here they are, Simon, who he later would name Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, this be another Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. There are actually two Judases in his group. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, I'm sure uh, the other one got a bad rap after things <laughs> when he announced himself, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, my name's Judas. People probably looked at him funny until he explained that. But he, he chose literally 12 people. I want, to think, I want you to think about that, uh, kind of like we have been thinking about that here. The number is there. Now, I know uh, symbolically 12 tribes of Israel and all of that, but the point is, is that they were a specific group of people. I can't tell you how many times uh, uh, people talk about, I disciple anybody I meet, or I disciple people every chance I get. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He literally selected 12 people. Now, when we talk about Christian selection, I get it. It might feel like elitism. It's like, you know, you feel like the fat kid in dodgeball that never gets picked or something. <laughs> at, least that, at least that's my story. Um, and you think, you know, that's not fair for Jesus to go choosing people, but he did. As a matter of fact, he, from the 12, he chose three. We know Peter, James, and John, who would often, he'd say, hey, you, you three come with me. We're going to go do something over here. I often think the other nine must have thought, you know, what are we? What's up with that? And then, of course, John, according to John, was the one Jesus loved, and we can debate that all, all day if you want. But the point is, is these were real people with real lives and real names. It takes me to a story of a, of a guy that I um, had gotten to, to work with for a while, and he was a pastor. And he called me asking me about a book that I had recommended on disciple-making at some conference, and I, I couldn't remember what book it was. I'd recommend a lot of them. Um, probably was Master Plan of Evangelism, but... I just started asking him his story and got got into a coaching relationship with him. And after about a year or so, he told me this story. He he said, "Mark, do you? I, I have to tell you this." He said, uh, "About a year ago, when we first started uh, this coaching relationship, he said you asked me a question that just bothered me to my core." And I, of course, I didn't remember it. Um, but he said, "You asked me to tell." He said, "Tell me about the men that you're dis- personally discipling." And um, he said he started naming off some names of Sunday school teachers and people in his church that were doing duties and things like that. And I, according to him, again, I don't remember this, he, he said, I asked him, I didn't ask you about people in your church. I asked about the names of those people you're pouring into. And his comment was, I, I couldn't name anybody. Uh, he was calling me a year, or talking to me a year later saying that he shared that story in a sermon. And in telling that story, he was then able to rattle off uh, six or seven men's names 
of specific people that he was investing his life into, discipling. And he said, it felt so good to be able to know that I now am following Jesus's plan by calling a few out and investing my life in them. It's undeniable when you think about it in Scripture that of the 72 and of the 500, we don't know the names of all those, although they were important to Jesus. Of course, we don't know the names of the multitude, but we know the names of those 12. And my question to you today would be, is if I were to ask you that question, so who are the names of the people that God has given you that you have got a that you are specifically investing your life in? Would you be able to come up with any names? Well, if you can, praise God. And if you can't, praise God, because you're at a great place to start. There's an old Chinese proverb that says there's the two best times to plant a tree is 20 years ago <laughs> and today. So if you're listening to this today, I want to give you some really helpful tips that are going to help you in the get started in this selection process because it really is important. Jesus concentrated on a few, and that's all he's asking us to do. Now, there's a, a filter, I would say. Uh, how do you know who to select? And that's a question we often get. How do I know who Jesus wants me to disciple? I mean, I go to a church, and I work with all these people, and I've got kids, and you know, how am I supposed to know? Well, the first thing that I would say is is to start praying that way. Now, be careful because this prayer gets answered, and it gets answered pretty quick. When you start praying, Lord Jesus, bring people into my life and show me who you want me to choose to disciple, to choose to invest my life into. Now, realize you can't invest your life in everybody. I mean, that would be cool. You'd be Superman or Wonder Woman, but you just can't do it. If Jesus chose 12, we probably can't even choose that many. I mean, he was God. So maybe, you know, five or six. And we begin to pray this way, God, who just send me some people that you want me to disciple? And I'm telling you, I've never heard a testimony where that prayer was not answered. So what do we look for in people that we're going to disciple? Well, there's an acronym that it's I think it was the Navigators that came out with it early. It was called Look for Fat People, Faithful, Available, and Teachable. But what happened here was nobody around here wanted to be called fat. <laughs> so, so we expanded it, and I think it's a healthy expansion, no pun intended. In uh, and, and the F, it's, a, it's the acronym of faith, and the F stands for faithful. We're looking for people who show some bit of faithfulness in their life. I mean, it's not that uh, you couldn't disciple anybody, but... If someone doesn't show at least a hint of faithfulness already to God and to uh, trying to find God's will for their life and some some type of worship life of, of any kind, it, it's probably going to be pretty hard to disciple them. We may need to just start with a relationship um, where we just befriend them in Christ, but to pull the, to prayerfully pull them into a, a covenant group, if they're not faithful, it's just it's just not going to work. So we're just looking for a seed of faithfulness in their life. Uh, the second one in the faith acronym is available. Are they available? I mean, if we're going to have our group during the week and they travel Monday through Friday, I mean, unless they quit their job, they're just not available. And that's okay. I mean, some people have different seasons of life to go through. But if they're not available, it's not going to work either. You're going to be trying to chase everybody down all the time, and that's going to be futile. Faithful, available. The third one is intentional. We're looking for people who have some intention about their life, or at least are seeking God's intention for their life. Now, this may be a little harder to spot, and it's going to take some 
some relationship, you know, asking questions. It's going to take observing their life a little bit. Do they have, are they, is, their ho- is their house out of order? Is their life a mess? And if it is, it may be that they're not exactly candidates for what you're trying to do. Now, again, this does not, uh, please don't think this reeks of any kind of classism or anything like that. It's just that we have found that if people aren't intentional in some aspects of their life, if they're just a train wreck, it's going to be really hard to disciple them. So we believe that Jesus was already in relationship with these people. He knew them. He had had conversations with them. So when he walks along the side of the Sea of Galilee and says, follow me, it wasn't some stranger. I mean, there was some earlier relationship that had happened, and he had seen some intentional uh, aspects of their life. He knew those fishermen. They got up and went to work every morning. They showed some faithfulness, some availability, and some intentionality. Now, the fourth one is teachable. Man, this is important. You know, it's hard to disciple a narcissist. It just is. If, you, if you've done it successfully, please write me and tell me how you did that. It's just hard to in, disciple or teach people who already think they know everything. So we're looking for people who have questions themselves, people who are interested in learning and in knowledge. And, and we find that teachable is a wonderful characteristic for a disciple. And finally, to end out the faith acronym, it's hungry. So we have faithful, available, intentional, teachable, and hungry. Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. We find that this is very important uh, early on to, to know who's hungry for God, who wants more of God in their life, who wants to live out God's will for their life. Now, again, these are challenges to determine, you know, they don't have to fit everyone perfectly. But this gives us a little bit of a framework of what a disciple may look or act like that we want to bring into our life. Because listen, we're going to be investing in them for a long time. This isn't just a weekend event. This is, we're going to be pouring into their life for years. Jesus poured into their life for three years. Think about that. He knew these guys for three years plus, and he was God. I mean, he could have done it in a millisecond. And if we think we can do it in six weeks, we are just naive or deceived. And so since we're going to be uh, discipling these folks and investing a lot of our time in them, well, it's actually God's time. He gave it to us. We're going to need to be intentional uh, about how we select these folks. Uh, and, and so when you go back and look at the life of Jesus and how he did this, he wasn't trying to impress the crowds. He was trying to usher in a kingdom. And that's why he selected and started with a few. Now, he had the masses that he ministered to, of course, but he was more concerned about ushering in the kingdom. And if that was going to happen, he would need people who are trained up to lead, to quote Dr. Coleman. So he focused on developing leaders. Why? Well, because he was a realist. He knew he was going to be leaving. He knew his ministry was uh, just a, a period of time, and then what? And so he spent his time training up others to lead and to carry on. And you know what? It worked. We can criticize it. You can complain about it, but you can't deny it worked because we can only do so much. Now, was he showing favoritism? I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like that. But he really wasn't. He was selecting those that he said that the Father had given him. Now, what's really interesting is if you go from this beginning phase to the end of his earthly ministry, which is in John chapter 17, uh, I really recommend you go into that passage of Scripture. It is Jesus' high priestly prayer, and it really is an expose on—the whole chapter is red letters, by the way. 
And it's the first part. It's broken up into three sections where he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, uh, and then he prays for those who would believe through their message. But this very interesting verse is found in here. He's, he's praying. Of course, John is, is, is hearing this and, and recording it. And he says in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, when we see the word finishing there, we often think about, well, the cross. He said it's finished on the cross. But what he said on the cross, better translated to telestai, is actually it is paid for, paid in full. So if he's saying this the night before he's crucified, it is finished. What's he saying? He's saying that the training of these 12 is what's finished. And he says, I brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Friends, listen, I believe that discipling others and investing in their life is bringing glory to God on this earth. I believe it's the plan he's given every redeemed believer to invest their life in the life of another, to pass it on, to carry it on. And when we do that, we are bringing glory to God. We have it right here in Scripture. But if you drop down in John 17 to verse 6, there's a really interesting verse where he says this, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now think about this prayer. Jesus is saying to the Father, I did what you told me to do with the ones that you gave me. Now it might seem like we are selecting, but we're really not. We're really being faithful to the ones that God has given us. And this is why this is so powerful. You see, programs, church ministries, they don't change lives. People do. And when you invest your life into another, I believe it is, it is where the power of the gospel comes alive. When you select a group of people to come into your home or to come into your world, and you show them everything you know about how to live for Jesus, that is powerful. It is worth a million sermons, in my opinion. So it really comes down to this question of, do we have our spiritual antennas up? You know, I'm, I'm picturing you out there right now with these uh, satellite dishes on top of your head spinning around, but <laughs> if you think about it, when we pray, God, Father, who would you have me disciple? And then open your eyes, open your ears, and start looking and listening, and you are going to be amazed at the people that God brings into your life, and you can start praying, Lord, is that one? And then you just start making a prayer list, and you pray over these people every single day. Now, I heard it said by a theologian, if you talk to God about a person, you'll probably talk to that person about God. And that's true. And so put your spiritual antennas up. Pray this prayer and watch out. I'm warning you, it's going to (laughs) happen. God is going to send people your way for you to to disciple. And what will happen is, is you will start bringing glory to God on earth if you're not already. And you'll be able to answer this question. And I want to leave you with this question. The question is, which generation are you living for? Because disciple-making is about investing in the next generation of believers. And folks, we are responsible, to quote Keith Green, we are responsible for this generation of souls. We are responsible to be stewards of the gospel, to take this message, this method that Jesus used and to use it in our lives too. And you, my friend, will be blessed. I hope you feel like you're bungee jumping and your toes are off the end of the platform right now and you got butterflies. That's what I hope you feel like. 
because it is absolutely one of the most exciting, enjoyable, fulfilling things I've ever done in my life to invest in the lives of others. I hope this encourages you today. And if you have feedback for us, please email it to us, 419disciplemakers.org. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget, there are tons of resources there available for you. Next week, we're going to be moving on uh, from selection to association. And ha- what was it that Jesus did uh, in, after he had selected these 12 to then really get into their lives and him, him get into their lives? And so we've got some ideas uh, for you as well. So until then, God bless you and be out there making disciples. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.